This talk was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as part of the 2022 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. We're going to get started. This is work training. Welcome to your first training outside of all of the craziness of, of the first week. Um, I I think I've met everybody, or at least I've introduced myself. My name is Zach Simmons. I work at Kansas University in Minnesota. And um, we're training our hope for you this summer is that you guys would learn how to study the Bible, feel equipped to study the Bible so that when you leave the project, it would be very easy for you guys to open the Bible and know what to do, have something you could do. So that is our hope. And um, we're going to cover, so the first two weeks, we're going to just orient you to the Bible. The third week, we're going to talk about memorization. And then the fourth week, we're going to talk about prayer. That's what the staff would do. And then um, we're going to uh, kind of do a recap again in July with you guys. So there's two parts to this. One is you get a green talk for about 20 minutes. And then the second part is going to be a workshop where we're going to actually study the Bible inductively together. And I think that everybody got these little inductive sheets. If you're a participant, you got them from me. If you're a leader, you got them from the leader retreat in April. And if you lost that, which I, I think most of you probably did, um, I'll give those to you at the end of this. So, um, so if you have your green book, um, you can open up to the word training portion, which is on page 29. And um, if you flip that page over to page 31, you can take notes on what we talked about today. Right there, so it's front and back. Um, and then also, I just I just want to make this clear. I think you guys all know this, but um, the daily devos, you know, we have the we have a schedule written out for what the, the days are going to be, um, starting on page eighty seven. So, all right, let's get into it. How would I pray, and then we'll then we'll talk about it. Um, Father, I pray that you would uh, help us to see the importance of the Bible and would you help us to submit to the Bible? And I pray that if somebody is not a Christian here, um, I pray that as we talk about the Bible, um, you would draw them to yourself. I pray that for every Christian here, I pray that um, you would use what we talk about this summer to make them stake their lives on the Bible, whatever way, and increasing. So pray that Jesus in the name. All right, so. I want to talk about this verse right here. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, which is from 2 Timothy 2.16. Um, this verse is making a claim that is very important to how we think about the Bible. And it's right here. All scripture is breathed out by God. So, it's not like, hey, there's a guy who had a cool idea, but it wasn't inspired by God. It's in the Bible. All scripture is breathed out by God. So what this means is this. God wrote a book. You should think about that. God wrote a book. This, uh, my former pastor, Pastor John, um, he, he said this phrase, and this has really stuck with me. God wrote a book. Like, you think of your favorite author, you think of J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter, and you think of writing something else in that book, probably would be good. 
right? But like the God of the universe wrote a book. And so if the God of the universe wrote a book, then it should have a significant impact on your life if you actually write it, right? So we got three questions we're going to answer quickly. Um, what did God put in it? So we're just going to read the whole Bible together right now. Just straight on through. Um, what did he put in it? This is going to be a brief overview. Can we trust that God wrote it? And what should we do with it? What did God put in it? Can we trust that God wrote it? And what should we do with it? Before we get into this, I just want to say, um, I'm not going, uh, I mean, there's so much that could be said in each one of these questions. And you may be thinking, well, you didn't really answer this for me. And I feel very okay with that. <laughs> to this. Um, I think of it like this. When we're giving talks up here this summer, it's not like what we're saying is this is the authority and there's, there's no, there's nothing else outside of what we're saying. It's more like, um, I, I'm from Wyoming and there's a lot of farms and ranches in Wyoming. People, um, so my great grandfather homesteaded in Wyoming and a guy came to his door one day, knocked on it and said, Hey, I am selling pictures of your property to you. Would you like to buy it? And he had gotten into an airplane and he had circled the entire farm. And my, my grandfather owned about 5,000 acres, so it was a big ranch. And he circled the entire thing and taken pictures of, of his homestead and everything. And, um, think of it like, um, what I'm sharing with you is one perspective, one vantage point of the homestead. All right. It's not like I'm sharing all the information. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of an orientation. And we have a lot of staff here, um, who would love to help you think more about this. And there's a lot of really good books to talk about the Bible. So, all right. What did God put in? Let's get into it. Here's just the straight facts. Um, First, there are 66 books in the Bible. There's a reason that there are 66 books. It's intentional. We believe that there are 66 books that were inspired by God. There's 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. So it's broken up into two different parts. It was written by 35 different authors over a span of about 1,500 years. And all of them were Middle Eastern descent. Um, now, Again, if God wrote a book, how could they be writing a book at the same time? And that is just one of the beautiful things. God, it says all scriptures breathed out by God. If you're a Christian, you've got to believe that all scriptures breathed out by God, and yet He used them with their current uh, cultural context plus their personalities to make different books. Like the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, feels very different than the Gospel of John um, because they wrote differently, and it's very enjoyable. Um, so. What did God put in? Those are straight facts. Now, um, what's the point of the Bible? And here's what I would say uh, is an answer, a pithy answer for it. It's the story of God reconciling all things to himself through Jesus' death and resurrection. So the Old Testament follows the storyline of one family. It starts with Adam and Eve, but then Things get real around uh, Genesis 11 with Abram and Genesis 11 with Abram, and he, God makes a promise to Abraham and says, um, "I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and every nation is going to be blessed by you." So it follows that family, um, and God makes a covenant with that family. But that that family it shows it proves that that family cannot keep the covenant that they've made with God. They can't do it. They don't have what it takes. 
That's the Old Testament. It's the whole story of the Old Testament. And there's this promise of one to come who's going to make everything right. And the New Testament starts with the one to come, which is Jesus. So the New Testament begins with the birth of Jesus and ends with the eventual return of Jesus and um, all things you know, reconciled to him. And it shows God making a new covenant that is based on his merit alone. Not on that famous merit, but based on his merit alone. That's that's what the New Testament shows. And it's not only for that family. In fact, that family was just supposed to be the representation of what it meant to walk with God so that all nations would be blessed. It is now for all peoples. So all who trust in the Lord can be saved. Nobody can. Nobody is, is uh, outside of that. Anybody who trusts in the Lord. Um, John 1, 12 says, It's all who did receive him, who believe in his name, who gave the right to become children of God. Not because of flesh, not because of their bloodline, not because of their ability to make it happen, or because somebody else told them they could. Simply by receiving Jesus, they can become um, believers. So that's the story of the Bible. Um, Second question, can we trust that God wrote it? I want to cover four things I think um, I hear from students a lot, just very briefly, um, and and say what, what Christians would say. One is, it is 100% true. People would be like, well, it's like 99%, right? It's like this is right? No, it is 100% true. And people who would say that it's not, for every scholarly article that comes out that says that the Bible is not uh, 100% true, there's a thousand more scholarly articles coming out and saying, well, that's, that's not the case. So, um, it's 100% true. Um, breathed out by God in 2 Timothy 3.16 means two things. One is, um, it means that the Bible is both inerrant and infallible. Okay, these are theological terms. Inerrant and infallible. So inerrancy, being inerrant, means that it's without errors. There are no errors in the Bible. Christians have always believed this. And infallible means that it isn't capable of having errors because God wrote it. Okay? It cannot have errors because God is the one who wrote it. Um, so it's 100% true. It's consistent with itself from beginning to end. 100% consistent. And it is consistent with history. As they continue to find things in archaeology, it is 100% consistent with, with things um, that are coming out. Second thing, it has not been changed or altered in any way. Um, so we have we have original documents. I read I read a book. Actually, a book that I would recommend you guys to for further study would be a peculiar glory by. John Piper, he's our former pastor. It was really helpful for me um, in thinking about these things. But um, the dot, and this, this is from this, um, a guy named F.F. Bruce um, wrote a book in the 80s called Is It Reliable? And one of the things he said was um, many of the, the uh, old Greco-Roman authors that we have, we don't have original documents. We have things 500 or 1,000 years after it was originally written, but it had been copied down. But the Bible we're waiting to do decades. Like it may have been like the second copy of the book of Philippians. Like we're really, really close. So historically, we have more information of that Jesus was a real person than we do that Caesar Augustus was a real person. But in our day and age, um, what people will tell you is that well, like the, 
there's so many things in the Bible that we just, we just can't prove. It is a historical document that is actually very consistent with itself. And not only that, but we get a lot of documents. So this is from um, F.F. Bruce. He says, the average classical author's literary remains number no more than 20 copies. We have more than a thousand times the manuscript data for the New Testament than we do for the average Greco-Roman author. So we got a lot of data that is consistent with itself. And another thing is, we'll be like, yeah, but some of them are different than one another. They say they're different things. But when you look at all of them, um, really, it's like 99% accurate across the board. And the overwhelming data from across the board helps to be able to say, oh, yeah, there was an error here. Because everyone else said this. <laughs> that that's the error right there. Um, so it had not been changed or altered. Third thing, it is not translated from other translations. This is one that I hear from students a lot at the U of M. Isn't it just translated from other translations? It's kind of like telephone. Play telephone, and by the time you get to the end, it's like something really different. Though, I work really ever play that game that's actually not this. Usually it's like, <laughs> um, but that's that's the idea with the Bible. It's like, well, hasn't it been translated a ton of times over 2,000 years? No, it is not. Translations are not translated on one another. They go back to the original source. Every time the translation is made, it goes back to the original documents that we have from 2,000 years ago. Um, the reason that we have new translations is because language is colloquial. Um, so what does that mean? Colloquial means um, language is conversation. It's, it's uh, words are created simply by us hanging out together. So ginormous is a word that my sons like to use. That was not a word when I was their age. It, it became a word when I was in junior high or high school or something, but it was not a word that was commonly used. Ginormous is enormous and gigantic put together. And some junior higher was like, that's like that's gonna be able to express what I want to express more than either of those words. So I'm gonna use that. But my sons use it now because language is colloquial, okay? So we don't use thee and thou anymore. And therefore, a new translation was needed because people don't understand the text. We're, we we use a different language than we used 500 years ago. Even the English language has changed so much. That's why new translations are needed. Um, so. Um, yeah, we no longer, some some of you may like the King James Version, which is totally fine. I'm not saying you can't use it. I'm just saying the reason we have new translations is because they're needed. Um, all right, last thing. It is imperative that it is 100% true. The Bible is not worth trusting if God did not write it. If God did not write from beginning to end. And I really want to land here. I want to emphasize this. It is imperative that the Bible is 100% true. And I hear this from students. They're like, well, yeah, like, I mean, we can still be a Christian and just, like, not agree fully with like, some of the things that are in it. kind of just copy it, right? No. It is imperative. And I, and I, I hope I'll convince you. So, um, John Piper, material words, he says, it is a stupendous claim that any book written by human hands is the infallible word of God. If the claim is true, and if the book claims to teach the only path to eternal life, then that book is more important than any other book. It has more to offer us than any other book, and what it offers us, us is of infinite importance. So, um, if God wrote a book, it's the most important book in the universe. This is what he said. But, 
If God did not write the book, then Christianity is founded on nothing other than men's ideas. It is not worth trusting. So if you um, uh, are a Christian and would say, well, I agree with 98% of the Bible, but 2% of it I don't follow. I don't, I don't know why. Um, who is the ultimate source of truth? If if ninety eight percent of if you're saying ninety percent of the Bible is true and the other two percent is not, who is deciding what is true and what is not? You are. So if you are a Christian but you're saying I don't like two percent of it, so I'm going to say that's not true, then you are making yourself the arbiter of truth and not the Bible. And at that point, what I truly what I would say as as a Christian, I would say I'd rather be a Christian because it's going to be up to me, and if it's up to me. There's a lot of other ways to live this life. If this thing isn't real, there's a lot of other ways to live this life that are probably going to be more enjoyable. I mean, Paul literally said we are to be pitied above all men if our hope is only in this life. Because as Christians, life is hard. So that I, I, I just want to emphasize, if, if God did not write the book, Christianity is founded on nothing. You cannot be the arbiter of truth. You must submit to it because of him. So, that's my next question. What should we do with it? And really briefly, we should stake our lives on it. I think there's, there's two ways that this looks. Um, my, uh, uh, in Minneapolis, there's a bridge called um, the or it's on Hennepin, Hennepin Avenue. It goes across Hennepin, it's the Hennepin Bridge. It goes across um, uh, St. Anthony, Maine, which is a cute little area into downtown Minneapolis, and it's a suspension bridge, so it's like it's a giant suspension. And but it's really short. It's a really, really short bridge. And the suspension, I mean, it's huge. Cables and everything is just massive. Um, if that thing was backed up with semis carrying the heaviest thing you could possibly carry, um, it would carry 2% of what the capacity of that bridge is. It has no business being a suspension bridge. We have no need for a suspension bridge. They just thought it would be cool looking. That's why they put it in. There's no need. And down the road, literally, I mean, it's so ironic. It's like half mile down the road in 2007, the 35W bridge over the Mississippi collapsed. The suspension bridge, this dinky little thing, is more strong than the 35W1. Now imagine that compared to a vine bridge, like in the jungle. You're like going across the jungle, you know, and you like kind of get across. Um, I asked my sons this: What would you trust more? Which one do you think could get you across? Obviously, the suspension bridge, right? My sons get that, and they're five and six. So, um, trusting in the Bible is like that. It's like saying, okay, like I have some thoughts, but I am finite. I'm only living here for so long. I'm only 31. I mean, Noah, when he built the ark, he was 600. When I'm 80, there's no way I'm building an ark. You know what I mean? Like, at the age of 80, like, I, I, I don't have life figured out. And I have so many errors. Now, present, at the age of 31, I have so many errors and faulty ways of thinking. I cannot be the arbiter of truth in my life. What I have learned is my mind and my heart often betray me. So I need something else. It helps me to have something else. 
And what God is saying is that's always how it's been. It's what it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to be the ruler of your life. You're going to have so much more freedom if you're not the ruler of your life. And he's saying, trusting in the Bible, submitting to it, even if you disagree with it, is like the suspension bridge. And trusting in yourself is like the Bible. That's what it's like. So we stake our lives on it. Um, so we submit to it. Submitting is hard. The, the, the word submission is hard for our culture right now. The idea of authority is hard. Um, but we submit to it. Um, so just really briefly, when I was graduating from high school, my number one choice of what I wanted to do was start my musical career. So I wanted to buy a really old car and drive around to coffee shops in America and play my music. And my dad, my dad was like, you're not doing that. Um, but I, I really wanted to, and I went to Bethany University my senior year and auditioned for a trumpet scholarship. While I was out there, I know my sister's friends and I remember being in the airport on the way back. And at that point, it was like, I think I'm going to do it. And it, I read, I was reading in Proverbs at the time, I read Proverbs 19, verse 2. In the NIV, it says, Zeal without knowledge is foolishness. And the love of the Lord stuck in your side of the head of the And I just realized, like, I am very passionate, but there's clearly things in my life that are, that are very foolish. And so, I decided to go to Bethel University because of that. I didn't want to, but it seemed like, yeah, I think the wise thing to do would be that. Another example uh, would be in college, I tested a three on the end exam. I don't know how much you guys know about the exam. But the threes are always trying to show off to everybody. So I would not do karaoke if I didn't think I was good at it. I would be sitting very far away from it, all right? But yeah, I'm just being honest. I know I'm sick, all right? I've got issues. i got real problems. <laughs> Okay, so you guys are like, yeah, he's great. He's like, that's weird. Um, so I am a three, and I, I don't want other people to know any bad things about me. And when I was in college, I was reading Psalm 36, and Psalm 36, the first two verses says, transgression, sin, speaks um, deep um, to the wicked, deep in their heart. Which says, transgression speaks to the wicked, deep in their heart. It speaks to them. And the verse 2 says, For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out. And I realized what I wanted to do was hot. I always wanted to look good. I didn't want other people to know all of this stuff inside. And there was a lot. There was so much. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to share it with anybody. And I, that verse convicted me that even though this is not what I want to do. This goes against the very beginning of how I function. What I need to do is confess it. I need to be honest with people because sins can ruin my life otherwise. And so, now there's a spectrum of like, I would say both of those were desires that I had. Right? The Bible convinced me, okay, I'm going to not do those things. But um, we live in a day and age where you may say, or where culture is going to say, if you disagree with something, then you should be suspicious of that person and that thing. And what the Bible would say is, if you disagree with the Bible, the Bible's probably right, and you're probably wrong. Jeremiah 17, I would say, the heart is deceitful of all things, that's where it is sick. So the Bible, if it's really true, and your heart is deceitful, then even when you disagree, 
you will own that and say, you have a decision to speak it in the present. This is my current understanding of what the Bible is teaching. That's what submission looks like. Lastly, we steep in it. And I would say more like we let the Bible steep in us. Okay, like if you were, let's say you're a mug with water, and just, or just water, and tea. The Bible is the tea that's just steeping in you. You want it to steep in you as much as possible. And this is, this is an example that I think is great. There's a guy named Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York, and he, I heard this, I don't know, on a podcast or something, but he said that, um, he's read C.S. Lewis, you guys know C.S. Lewis is? Um, he said C.S. Lewis, wrote Chronicles Narnia, but he was a great Christian thinker. Tim Keller has read C.S. Lewis so much, he's read his book so many times, that he is, feels pretty confident that if you ask Tim Keller what C.S. Lewis thought about something in the world that's happening that C.S. Lewis did not write about, Tim Keller could give you C.S. Lewis's thoughts. Because he's read him so much, he knows the way in which C.S. Lewis thinks. He's just steeped in C.S. Lewis reading so much that he doesn't get into the question. That is how Christians should be with the Bible. We want to know who God is. Now, he's only revealed himself in the Bible, right? So we want to know who God is. We should go to the Bible, and there is so much there. When you, like, you should be bleeding scripture. That is what Christians should be like. If God wrote a book, it has more to offer us than any other book in the world. And that's how we should be viewing it. So we should see today. So um, just a couple questions for you guys to write down. Who or what do you give authority to tell you what is true? Who or what do you give authority to tell you what is true? And I, what I'm not saying is like, yeah, I know none of you guys give the Bible authority. Like, <laughs> obviously you do. You're a Christian. So that's, that is one of the answers. The question is, that plus what else? What in your life do you give authority to? Do you give authority to your church? Do you give authority to people who you follow in social media? Do you give authority to your parents? Who slash what? And that's just a question for you guys to answer and, and then for you to think about um, how it should influence you. And the second one, what sorts of information do you let Stephen how much time do you spend reading the Bible versus being on social media or watching Netflix or Disney Plus? Um, if you spent the same amount of time reading the Bible that people do on average watch Netflix on a weekly basis, you would have read through the whole Bible in two and a half months. Does not take long. So, um, what sorts of information do you let Stephen know? All right, now that I at the end there, that kind of sounds like I'm just being condemned. That's not what I'm trying to do. I, I I want you guys to get excited about the Bible, and I'm saying there's just there's so much there, and we live in a culture that's telling you the best place for you to go is your phone. That's going to be that's that's going to keep you in the loop. You're going to know um, what you should do. And look inside of yourself and figure out what your desires are and follow those. And what I'm saying is the Bible, I think, is a better way. And you were created for it. It's going to be better for you. So let me pray and then we'll get, we'll have a little break and we'll get through the God, I pray that um, you would help us to speak in the Bible. I pray that you would help me to um, be excited about your word. And would you this summer, would you use First Peter and us reading together to... Um, display your majesty in your word 
and being honored. Mm-hmm. Would we put our hearts delight in you being honored? And would our hearts delight in submitting to you, even if we see a passage in the Bible that we disagree with? And so, Thank you for listening to this message from the 2022 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.